Your On The Mark podcast is loading now. The On The Mark podcast is sponsored by the Sunbury Motor Company, family-owned dealership since 1915, 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, on Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf. Next, we're going to talk to Pamela Falk, a CBS News foreign affairs analyst based at the UN headquarters in New York. Uh, she reports on air for CBS News Radio and CBS News Broadcast and CBSNews.com. She's a former staff director at a U.S. Congressional Subcommittee of the House of Representatives International Relations Committee, Has has her attorney's degree, a JD from Columbia University, and her PhD from New York University. She's a professor of American foreign policy and international relations and law at Hunter College. And let's see, she reports on all areas of international relations uh, from the UN and has traveled with the UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon to Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Her career involved worked in academics, international organizations for the U.S. government on Capitol Hill and the private sector. And uh, she has written and edited six books on international relations. Dr. Falk, thank you so much for calling in this morning. Very glad to hear from you here at WKOK. I'm here, Mark Lawrence, with my co-host, Joe McGranahan, again. Good to talk to you again. Nice to hear from you. I want to ask you about this war crimes uh, accusation of what value is that globally? What happens when you have somebody accused of being a war crime? Does anything come of that? Well, it can, because there's this international criminal court doesn't have a great record for spending uh, time. I mean, it takes too much time to get to get indictments and get convictions. And it has. But the idea was when it was set up in The Hague in the Netherlands was to make it a little faster. What's happened in places like Yugoslavia and the former Yugoslavia is that it was 10 years afterwards that they started these investigations. This one is happening in real time. And there are actually already investigators on the ground in Ukraine gathering evidence. So it may very well be that we see Putin in the dock in a war crime trial. Okay. That's, that's and, reality today. And then what? Uh, would he accept that or would he just, uh, what are his options then? Well, you'd have to get a hold of him. But, and that would be the problem. I mean, what happens is they, they put, they make, they make an indictment, he, an arrest warrant is issued throughout the world, an Interpol red notice, and that means that any country, even if they're not a member of the International Criminal Court, as the United States is not, would arrest him and deport him for the trial. So he wouldn't be tried in absentia? He, no, they haven't done that in the past. They have had some uh, trials where they have multiple uh, people and they put one person, they add the other person in. But if it was someone that high level, they'd probably wait until they actually got a hold of them. But it really, what it really does is say he can't move. He can't, he has to worry about any kind of travel. It's the end of any kind of international career, and it makes him a pariah in the world stage. So in addition to all these sanctions we have seen, if he's under indictment by the International Criminal Court, it does have its implications. I think much more important are the travel restrictions uh, that are already imposed by the United States, by Western Europe, by all countries 
around the world. And here at the UN, where I am inside getting ready for an afternoon meeting of the Security Council, an emergency meeting that was just called because of all these attacks on civilians. Three million people, Mark, have left. And that's in addition to two million who are in the country without homes. That's five million people. The population is only 44. It's like it's 300. It's like if 30, oh, let me do the math. It's 30 million Americans. Dr. Falk, Dr. Falk, I've got a question for you with respect to the United Nations. Now, President Zelensky has been making the rounds. He spoke to Germany early this morning, Germany's parliament. He spoke to our Congress yesterday. Uh, and in both all instances, he's asking for additional military aid for the Ukraine. Where does the U.N. stand on providing him that kind of aid? Well, the U.N. has, has 20 different agencies, and they're the only ones pretty much, except for some private, like Save the Children, independent agencies and the International Red Cross that are on the ground in Ukraine, where most countries like the United States and UK and other countries have evacuated their nationals because it's so dangerous. But the World Food Program is there delivering money and aid. Now, there is a fundraising, I mean, the UN doesn't have that much money to always go around. There's so many situations of famine and poverty in the world so they are they do fundraise and they're looking for money from countries uh to to get a few billion dollars to try to help in this circumstance but they have an emergency fund they've already allocated hundreds of millions of dollars and they are on the ground the world food program run by the former south carolina governor david beasley is on the ground in Ukraine, he's not there. He was in Poland, though, um, and that and and delivering food because there's no most of the infrastructure in these cities that the Russians have bombarded don't have water, don't have light, don't have electricity, and certainly don't have medical facilities. And the Russians have bombed a maternity clinic, um, in addition to about 40 hospitals. And, of course, we saw part of the reason there's a meeting here today of this, the 15-nation Security Council is that they bombed this theater that was a refuge for people fleeing. So we're still trying to find out, and some survivors have come out of it, but the fear is that a lot of people are buried under the rubble. With respect to how much the U.N. can do, is it any better than the old League of Nations? Does it have any more teeth? Yes, it does have a lot of teeth. The problem is it was set up right after the war in 1945, and basically the most powerful members of this 15-nation council, which is the one that actually has some enforcement power, is the U.S., U.K., France, Russia, China. There we go, Russia. And so Russia has vetoed anything that has to do with this issue with Ukraine. Uh, but the General Assembly, which is more sort of a Congress uh, the, rather than the Senate in the United States, it's um, uh, 193 countries, 141 uh, voted for, and only five voted against telling the Russians to get out of Ukraine. And that was two weeks ago. So. Um, that was at the beginning of the fighting, and there's going to be another meeting to try to see if there could be humanitarian corridors, which is not a no-fly zone, but at least it establishes ways for people to exit. Now, 
Russia has no interest in people exiting. On the contrary, it's hitting civilian infrastructure and civilians themselves. We had a video of people standing on a bread line yesterday and them just being mowed down. It's it's just, it's so horrific, it's hard to even look at these videos. Well, my friend Mark here uh, always says, why should we be worried about the borders of countries? They've changed so many times over the years. Why should we be worried about it's, some countries' integrity? Borders border ebb and flow, despots come and go. Uh, yes. Why, want, yes, why help? But this is, this is uh, the division of the former USSR. This came about in 1991, 92, 93. And Ukraine was established and, by the way, gave up its nuclear weapons to Russia. They were, you know, they were part of the Soviet Union. They gave up 4,000 nuclear weapons to Russia in order for Russia to recognize its borders. Didn't that, that didn't work out too well. Uh, but the point is, those borders were established for independence. And so ever since... World War II, countries don't invade other countries for occupation. That just hasn't happened. And it hasn't happened because the UN was established and not the League of Nations, but the UN after World War II to try to reestablish the idea of sovereignty, of the, 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 um, the ultimate might of countries to establish borders. Now, are some borders in countries in Central America? You look at a map and Belize doesn't exist in, in Guatemala, and some countries don't acknowledge it, and there were some Falklands, Malvinas Islands things that went on. But, but overall, the, certainly Russia invaded in 2014 already and took the, the peninsula of Crimea. But this is attempting an overthrow and of a, an entire country and a humbling of a nation. And so um, what and their, their pretext, or at least their thought at the time, um, their excuse at the time was that they wanted to be more like West, Western West. I mean, they wanted to join NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. They want to be part of the European Union. And they liked what we have in France and Poland and, and uh, even the Eastern European countries have. They didn't like the life in, in communist and no, you know, no free speech Russia. And so they started to move toward the West and say, look, we want to be part of these organizations, and that's what Putin couldn't tolerate. So we do care, and we care because it is part of Europe, and to, to hate to use, I mean, not hate to use the word, but we learned about appeasement, about saying he can take that, but he can't go to Poland in World War II, and that it doesn't work. If a bully is a bully and a dictator is a dictator, that you have to stop them at the first run. All right, uh, the lightning round. We have just a couple moments left uh, on our show. Uh, the Russian people, are they getting the message at all from these little glimpses of yes. uh, truth? they're starting to. Now they don't have a free press, but this is 2022. Who do you know that doesn't have some ability to get the Internet anywhere? Okay. In communist countries, in, in restricted countries, this isn't... Um, the old days, uh, I was in Cuba in the 70s when 
you you just I mean somebody pulled me over and said is your president really a peanut farmer? <laughs> okay, and finally, last question. Oh, and, I have one. Oh, okay, well, okay. Next to the last question, then, uh, any hope for the peace talks that are underway? Well, I think at some point Russia is going to start getting the message. They've arrested five thousand protesters. Um, and it's going up. So people are protesting in Russia. You saw the the Russian television, the producer who came on and said they're lying to you. There are there are, there are Bolshoi dancer defected. Uh, you're starting to see a lot of cracks in the armor, and so they have pressure on them. But will they come around to something? Sounds like eventually. But what what will ha- what will Ukraine look like? At that point in time, who knows? But what effect will Mr. Putin announcing that he's going to start a program of cleansing, won't that have a chilling effect on the citizens of Russia? Yes, of course. That's the goal. I mean, look, it's illegal to say, uh, to call it a war right now. They just passed a bill, and he signed it. You know, that if you call it a war, you go to jail. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's you know, it's you can't hold... People's freedom down anymore. It's the you know the world is global. Thank you, Doctor. We appreciate it. Yep. Thank you so much. Nice speaking with you. Very much appreciated. Uh, Pamela Falter, CBS News analyst, stationed at the UN, uh, and uh, as you heard in her full introduction for me, highly trained on a wide range of important topics. An underachiever, if there ever was one. (laughs) Well, I don't know about that. (laughs) No, I'd say she's done quite a lot. We're going to hear from our sponsor right now. We'll be right back. There's something to be said about a sale with a handshake. A service technician who really knows what he's doing. They can explain it in English what the problem is. There's nothing better than having that friend you could trust in the area. That's Sunbury Motors, where you get selection, knowledgeable salespeople, and prices that fit your budget, and more important, that friend you can trust. Welcome to Sunbury Motors, Kia, Ford, and Hyundai. You could shop other dealers and compare prices, but at Sunbury Motors, you get their lowest price promise. They research the current used vehicle market and guarantee their used car prices are the lowest. If you find a lower price, Sunbury Motors will beat it. Three dealers, all in one. See their full new and pre-owned inventory at sunburymotors.com. Pick out a vehicle you like and schedule your test drive online. Follow them on Facebook. Sunbury Motors Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. 